Hey everyone, this is Bradley, Editor-in-Chief of Merchant Fraud Journal. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. This week, we're going to be speaking with Rich from Count. Count is an AI-driven fraud protection platform that recently launched their Identity Trust Global Network. It allows you to gain the insights across all of their users in order to protect your customer journey at every touchpoint, from account creation through to payments, disputes. The platform will help you reduce chargebacks, manual review, and false positives. So you definitely want to check them out on the web at count.com. That's K-O-U-N-T.com. We're going to be speaking with Rich. He is their customer experience specialist, and he told us some absolutely incredible stories about fraud and pizza, but also some really sobering but important anecdotes about how fighting e-commerce fraud can actually help fight some of the worst crimes currently being perpetrated in the real world, specifically human trafficking, and how the work that the entire fraud prevention community does is contributing to that fight and making the world a better place in general. You definitely don't want to miss this episode. Some really, really great stuff. Uh, Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. And as always, you can get the latest e-commerce fraud news and tips at merchantfraudjournal.com. Uh, so, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bradley. Uh, really appreciate you having us and uh, always love talking about uh, the crazy things that fraudsters do to steal uh, money from people. So, uh, look, really looking forward to the discussion today. Great. So, I think a great place to start is with pizza plugs. That, that was how you presented it to me in the communications leading up to this podcast. And I I'm a huge, huge lover of pizza, and I don't quite understand what the term pizza plug means. So please, enlighten me. Let's hear it. You, you bet. And I, too, am a huge lover of pizza. As a matter of fact, I just finished a piece of cold pizza for breakfast this morning. So um, Excellent. I, I know not everybody likes it, but I sure do. Um, so pizza plugs um, is, is a confluence of a bunch of things. Uh, not the least of which the way uh, pizza companies are moving into being primarily digital businesses versus traditional order in and phone sort of businesses. So the, if we break down the term pizza plug, pizza is pizza. It stands for uh, pizza. Any sort of food that you can uh, order online plug. Any sign of awesome food. Yes, yes, indeed. And plug is... Uh, comes from kind of like the uh, uh, drug culture. If your drug dealer hits you with a plug, that means that they hooked you up. So the idea is somebody is going to hook you up with some really awesome food, um, and they're going to do it in a way that's uh, a little uh, or a lot uh, um, illegal. And so the, the way that they do this is they'll advertise a, a pizza plug or a DoorDash plug or a uh, you know, pick your favorite uh, restaurant with an app. They'll advertise on social media, um, like on dedicated Twitter accounts. And they'll say, pizza plug is open. Um, Shoot me your information and uh, 10 bucks. And I will get you somewhere between 50 and 100 bucks worth of your favorite awesome food uh, delivered to your door. And the way that they do this is they use uh, stolen credit cards uh, or stolen credentials uh, or some other brand of stolen identities. 
and they go to the online app, they fill it out, and they put in your information, or the, the, the uh, buyer's information, and the stuff goes to them. And so uh, works like a champ, but it can be very, very expensive for businesses that, that employ this business model. We think, we think it's somewhere between uh, $600 million and a billion dollars in losses a year wow. just from this sort of behavior. Wow. So can you, can you explain to me, I'm always interested to hear in these types of things, the psychology and the, the data-driven areas, the technology-driven areas behind why this scam is working. Um, so it sounds like this is kind of an, a, a type of identity theft uh, almost where people are, are able to do this. Can you, can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Sure. So it, it's really, and I, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head, it's, it's a class of identity theft. It could be an account takeover attack or it could be a stolen payment credential attack, but um, the the way it works is uh, if I if I'm dealing in stolen accounts, I'll go out and maybe do a credential stuffing attack and uh, get get a list of known good accounts, and then when my when my person uh, PMs me on social media and says, um, "Here's your I'm going to shoot you some money via Venmo." or myriad different ways of giving to the money, they just, they log in, take those stolen credentials, log into that, that account and change the profile of the account so it gets delivered to the right place. Or they create, simply create a new account and put in a stolen credit card that they've got through a breach of some sort. Or, or um, they take an existing account and adjust the profile to include the new payment type, new stolen credit card, and a new address. It, it's, a com, it's a combination of multiple different types of uh, what I would say traditional digital fraud, um, but, they, but they can use it, um, they, they can use it especially well in the uh, pizza delivery and QSR space especially because um, many of these companies are just uh, now doubling down on their digital customer journeys, and many have not put the controls in place that you need when you're in a purely digital environment. And these are the controls that pure play e-commerce players, you know, learned um, over the course of a couple of decades. These right. these these food restaurants are are learning them. You know, in literally in weeks, uh, the the bad things that fraudsters do. Yeah. So take me through some of that. Uh, that's a really interesting kind of thought. Is that these establishments, unlike we'll say traditional e-commerce stores, are not really used to this kind of thing, right? Like you said, just maybe even five years ago, this was not an issue for them at all. It was a very kind of traditional model. How? What? What are you hearing from people when they get? hit with this kind of fraud. They, they must be completely flabbergasted. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have any stories of people coming to you and saying, I can't even believe this is happening and how the industry is trying to orient itself and pick up all that knowledge and implement it that everyone else has had for 20 years now building and kind of put it in all in a single shot within a very short time frame. You, you bet. And, and flabbergasted is a great, is, is a great word. Uh, because the people running the shows 
in, uh, in the digital shows, so to speak, or the digital customer journey in these entities, they're, they're the customer experience person. They're the, the IT development department and they work with their cybersecurity because everybody's got, especially if you're at a global or a national chain, everybody's got extremely competent cybersecurity people. Right. What they, what they don't get is that um, the, on, on, on the left hand side, let's say you've got the cybersecurity people and they're making sure they're worried about the uh, prevention of data loss primarily. So they're doing mm -hmm. vulnerability scans. They're doing pen tests. They're doing secure coding challenges. They're doing all this stuff. And on the other side, you've got um, customer experience people that want amazing one-click experiences. Hit the button once on your mobile app and you can get $100 worth of product delivered to you plus a $20 gift card. And they have dreams about how amazed their customers are going to be. And in the middle, you got uh, fraud and loss prevention people that are like, hold on, guys, neither of you have it right. Because what they don't know is because these, these two groups don't have what I call the fraud mindset. They don't know that fraudsters will take those amazing features and take the perfectly secured APIs and interfaces. And because they've got access to stolen identity data, they'll use the company's own pipes against them to commit millions of dollars in fraud, um, untold millions of dollars in brand damage. Because let me tell you, when somebody uses your account and runs up 300 bucks on, on your credit card, you're going to be pissed and you're going to think that it is, you're going to think it's the, the pizza restaurant's fault. Right. No, for sure. I mean, I know my mom actually is a personal story, but my mom once ended up calling our local pizzeria because my sister-in-law had ordered something and used the card because we're big consumers of pizza and used the card that they had on file. It's a local pizza joint um, mm -hmm. that we know the guy personally, you know, very close local relationship. And my mom actually called him and said, Sal, what's like, what's going on with my card? Like I see a charge for whatever. And then he had to say, well, your sister-in-law. Oh, okay. But yeah, she was very quick on that. Very yeah. quick to call and ask what was going on. Yep. And, and it's, it is, uh, this is a global phenomenon now because I can be sitting in the Ukraine or I can be sitting in uh, literally any country on the planet and I can execute this scam harvest the profits. And there's a lot of places in the world where if you're making 20 bucks a day, um, you're a high roller. Right. For sure. No. So th in that context, you don't even, this doesn't even need to be so quote unquote spectacularly successful to be profitable and way better than anything else that you would be doing for, you bet. for money. You bet. And if you think about that broad, diffused global attack, and then you go back to the, the people that are running the show in these companies and you got the cyber people, the fraud people and the customer experience people there, they have a very, very daunting challenge and they really need the help of people that have experience in these sort of controls, have access to a network of 
fraud data and like customers and know how to employ it in a way that doesn't make it doesn't implode their business by making it too hard to actually do business. Cause I hear lots of stories about people that have massive losses in fraud, but I also hear lots of stories, which I think can be arguably worse where they invested $5 million in a new dig digital initiative to employ 10 very specific digital customer experiences. And one after the other, they're turning them off because they can't, they can't uh, take multi-tender online. They can't offer loyalty points because of fraud. They can't convert loyalty points into gift cards because of fraud. They, they, can't, they can't deliver um, in certain counties and areas, et cetera, because of fraud. And so you're caught in the middle and you got to strike the right balance and you need expertise to do that. Wow, incredible. Um, okay, so the next story, I want to make sure we get there because there's so many great stories here. The next story has to do, you wrote, gas fraud, including stealing of gas into, into bladder trucks. And this is another term that I know what each of these words means separately, but I don't know what they mean together. So maybe you can let everyone know because this also sounds pretty crazy. Yeah, you bet. And and it's funny that you mentioned that because one of my, I find I find the fraud world fascinating. And one of the fat, most fascinating parts is what I call the weird words in fraud. So we just covered pizza plug, which is a couple of weird words, and now we'll cover bladder truck, which is another really couple of weird words. So um, breaking it down, bladder's a a bag that holds liquid, and a truck is picture. Uh, pickup truck, uh, some might call it a lorry, etc. cetera. Um, and uh, you take your truck or your van and you put a giant bladder or set of tanks inside it and you drill a hole in, in the side of this vehicle where it looks like it might be the legit gas tank and then, except it flows into this bladder, this, let's say, 200-gallon or 400-gallon bladder. And... Um, as you're stealing the gas, you're going to picture a giant gas station with 16 pumps and you go from one pump to the next. And these pumps have, uh, uh, each pump has a limitation on how much you can pump per credit card or app, um, interaction in the U S it's like a hundred bucks or a hundred gallons or probably a hundred dollars or thereabouts. I, I forgot that number wrong, but you get the picture. Um, and so you go to pump one and you go to your app and you uh, use a stolen credit card and you fill your hundred dollars there. And then you go to pump two, use your stolen app, maybe even on a separate stolen phone, fill another hundred dollars worth of gas there. Pump three, pump four, pump five. Pretty soon you've got this bladder truck very full of gas and to give you an idea of this you know petrol weighs about eight eight pounds a gallon uh you got 400 gallons in there do the math that's a lot of that's like a heavy heavy pile of explosives <laughs> you're you then say the way i'm going to monetize this is i am going to go to a location 
be it in a city or in a place where there are uh, a fleet of folks that have to buy gas and it's a cost of doing business for them. And they have a pump rig set up and they put a little sign out that says, I will on the down low, uh, sell you this petrol or this gas for uh, 50 cents on the dollar, 50% discount. They monetize it. They make a bunch of money on it and they do it over and over and over. Wow. So this is a really interesting case because it's an instance where you're seeing really a combination of real world and virtual world fraud. The, The pizza fraud is that a little bit, but this is, really where you're, you're selling things offline. Yep. Uh, and and that, that's a really interesting combination. I'm kind of surprised that fraudsters are so brazen. What are, the, what are the people, who buys that? I mean, maybe I'm just, I've worked in fraud too long and I'm a cynical human being. And if somebody comes up to me and says, I'm going to sell you this for half of what you get it on the open market, I would say, I don't know what this scam is, but I know that there's something going on here. So I'm kind of surprised that this works on the on the the offloading end as well. What are these fraudsters thinking that they're so brazen that this, uh, this is working? Yeah, I think I think what they're thinking is um, uh, if I think they're thinking if I maintain a solid reputation with the people that I'm hooking up, they're going to continue to to do business with me, and and you know there's there are. Uh, there's a, I will call it a fairly recent development. Maybe it's not that recent, but it's certainly more pronounced. More and more, um, there's people are, people that you would look at and you would say they're great people, friends and family, people you know, are willing to be, to participate in fraudulent scams. Uh, I call it willful blindness. Um, to the fact that they are participating in this fraudulent scam. Everybody knows that uh, $10 worth of food or $50 worth of food for 10 bucks and the pizza plug, everybody knows that that's not legit. Everybody knows that 50% off gas being pumped from a van on, in an alley is not legit. Um, but they're willing to be blind to this fact and participate in the scam. So this is an interesting point too on the psychology of fraud and the psychology of fraudsters. And I'm guessing Count finds this throughout all of the verticals that you work with where when people aren't actually the ones that are stealing the product, and by that I mean not in the broader sense, but the actual physical act of thieving the gas, that they're just getting it from some other person and they know that something is going on, but they feel like, well, I'm paying what this guy is, is offering or, or, or asking for. I feel like this is, this is a really interesting area of human psychology. I guess people don't think it's theft. Do you run into this often, I guess, across all the different verticals? And yeah, like- yeah and, and not only do they, do they not think it's theft, um, there's a pretty well-known psychological set of theories around, um, around the way people motivate themselves and take an opportunity and then justify, uh, justify the, the stealing 
or the commit commission of crimes. Um, it used to be when they talked about it inside inside organizations, they would talk about the fraud triangle. And now really it's more of a fraud diamond where that is a mental model that says, if I've got an opportunity and I have some sort of pressure or stress that makes me think that uh, my conscience should take a vacation on this thing. And, and then I've got the technical skill to do it. And, and this, this, this is a brief uh, kind of, I'm murdering the fraud diamond right now, but, um, <laughs> but it's, a, it's a mental model that shows that basically what it leads to is once you convince yourself to do it, you convince yourself it's okay. And then once you've convinced yourself it's okay, you convince yourself it's cool to keep on trucking and keep right. on doing it. And one of the things that people don't get in the whole fraud environment, and we see this all the time as we're battling specific attacks, is the people on the other end, the, the bad guys, the fraudsters, the thieves, they are thinking, feeling human beings. And we, they're like, we see this, we see this where they become frustrated because we are causing them to expend their list of stolen credit cards and stolen emails and stolen devices, and they're not getting the profit. We had a, a legit example, and I am not lying about this, um, where, and this was, this was a fuel, this was literally a petrol, a bladder truck situation, where they were uh, attacking us or attacking our customer, and we were declining and blocking, et cetera. And they started changing their email address, the addresses that they had to, um, why try, I can't win, at gmail.com. This is my last one at gmail.com. I give up at gmail.com. And you, like, there's a Sun Tzu sort of thing going on there where if you break the enemy's spirit, you've won won the battle without fighting. Like this, and you see that happen. And then you connect the psychology of the fraud diamond. And then you realize if you have the controls in place and you are a strong adversary, they will move on to where victory is easy. That is a really incredible story. I, I, I'd never really thought about that. The idea that if you were, you were able to stop people enough, because you're right, you definitely do think of these people as just criminals and you kind of put them in that bucket in your head and you don't really think about the fact that they're actual people with actual psychological thoughts. And to them, every time that you're preventing a fraud is wasted effort and, and a frustration to them. Um, but to telegraph it like that as well, I mean, that's really, it just, it just also gets at the thing of, of the, the thought of why people would choose this lifestyle. You know, I guess like you were saying, when you're in the Ukraine or you're in some other place where you're not able to make a lot of money for a living, you, you go after, I guess, where you feel like the money is, you probably almost feel justified. Like, well, this person can afford the $50. They live in North America where the average income is much higher. And so you, you probably don't even really feel guilty about it in some instances. Yeah, and, and you've hit on something also that operates there in, in the psychology and the mindset of the fraudster is there is a substantial amount of anti-Western and anti-US sentiment in the world. And 
the idea that you're getting one over on a big uh, North American or more specifically U.S. brand and you're bringing that money back to your hometown, uh, that's, a, that's, that's a powerful shot of dopamine or serotonin um, that only gets better as you spend the money. Wow. Yeah. So you, you think that there is some, I don't know if jealousy is the right word, but there is some thought to, well, these people are so rich and it's not purely about the money, but it's also about some kind of pseudo revenge factor. Oh, uh, uh, for sure. And uh, just as a, sh- a shout out uh, to the people that run fraud operations, we're coming up on uh, not, we're coming up on, uh, the Independence Day holiday, and then at the end of the summer in the U.S., the Labor Day holiday, these three-day weekends or these long weekends are launching pads for uh, fraud attacks. So be vigilant um, because we have uh, – we tend to generate a lot of business in the month following a long weekend because – somebody gets stung really, really bad and figures out that they need to put some controls in place. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Um, so I wanna make sure we, we get, we have two more really interesting stories here. Um, sad, sad stories, uh, I wanna be clear, but I'm sure extremely valuable and important for everyone in the community to hear. One is you wrote that pet food fraud and how it can be linked to human trafficking. And that is, I don't even know what to say about that before I even hear what's going on behind the scenes, but why don't you fill me in on, on what this looks like? Sure, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go quickly here. But basically we have a number of clients that are in the pet supply, pet food, et cetera, vertical. And uh, one in particular encountered a fraud ring that uh, was stealing uh, animal food, number one, but also a variety of things like the shock collars, uh, wireless fences, restraints like collars and things like that. And what a a particularly enterprising uh, person figured out that they may in fact be being used in a human trafficking effort to kind of control the victims. That is and, and they act yeah sorry they they actually opened a case uh, with with law enforcement, but this is an example of to me uh, once once you open the case in a in a crime like this, you don't necessarily get to see what the outcome is, and you're dealing with international fraud and I call it uh, i in this case law the law is a little bit of a t rex. It's got a really big bite, but the arms are particularly short and they can't reach out many times. The long arm of the law isn't there to go get the folks that are perpetrating this stuff. I mean, that's just, I can't, I can't even imagine. And this, this really goes to one, just how crazy, uh, crazy the idea is that people would be, would be, so so horrible as to do that and certainly the way that they try to hide it i'm sure because it's through pet food most normal human beings would not even think to put those two things together 
right? Because it just wouldn't occur to you to use those types of things on a, on a human being. We, I, I'm really interested on this specific story to kind of talk about as a fraud prevention specialist, your personal psychology yeah. and dealing with people who are trying to scam, trying to thieve, doing these awful human trafficking things as a, as a fraud prevention professional, how do you protect your own mental health as you're going through all these cases and you're, you're seeing the worst of what um, people are, are, are capable of here? I mean, yeah. this is intense stuff to be involved in human trafficking. This isn't like stealing money, which is obviously already bad enough, but this is like very serious stuff, very dark places that you're going to when you're looking at this. Yes, and I, and I, I do think e even the stealing of the money concept, uh, that's the first putt. The second putt is funding a whole variety of other really nasty uh, activities. And so you're right that this feeling, this uh, concept looms over all fraud professionals um, in, in that, like, these, these people are my people. I've, I've had thousands upon thousands of conversations with fraud uh, analysts and fraud experts and fraud risk uh, executives. And we all know deep down that we're not just protecting our brands. We're not just protecting from the theft of money. We know that there's a, there are downstream things that we are preventing, um, be it terrorism, be it human trafficking, being it drugs, weapons, you name it. Um, uh, criminals have a supply chain and they raise their funds and they fund their activities however they have to do it. But the, the, the psychology for a fraud prevention person is the terrific uh, feeling that you get when you block them. And like I said, these are like my people. I talk to them a whole bunch. Uh, they tend to be really, really smart, really, really good at connecting dots and have an uh, energy and ambition to them where they want to win, like this will to win against the invisible and anonymous enemy is, is a thread that runs through everybody that I talk to. I mean, that's a really important statement, I think, within the community, which is the idea that you're not just protecting your company, that there's an awareness around where these activities exist in, in, in the human comings and goings on the planet and that these are very often, not always, but often tangentially related to some kind of organized crime syndicate and being aware of that and, and thinking about it, not just as, a, as an economic job for your employer, but for a, almost a greater cause in whatever small measure in the kind of global criminality uh, picture that's going on. That's, that's really important. Thanks for sharing that, Rich. Happy to. It's a, hopefully it's a, it's a space where we can be doing well by doing good, uh, which is where I think everybody would like to be. That's great. Um, so I want to, before we go, I want to make sure that I give you a chance to, to talk about Count uh, and tell us where to find you on the web. Sure. So um, 
Count is a software-as-a-service-based fraud control platform. Fundamentally, we help companies protect themselves from people that use stolen credit cards, stolen identities, stolen credentials, and, and, and the like to commit fraud. Um, one of the things that we build our business on is what we call our Identity Trust Global Network. This is a collection of the data and connections that we've built over a decade plus of fighting fraud. It's a massive amount of intelligence and data, and we mine it and use it to help our customers protect themselves via AI and machine learning. And we give our customers um, all the tools that they need to protect themselves from the nasty stuff that we've uh, talked about and will talk about. That's right. what we do. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, Rich. Can't thank you enough for these insights and keep fighting that good fight. You bet, Bradley. Very, very much uh, appreciate you having us. Um, I love talking about this. So I would say anytime you want to swap fraud stories and talk about how to catch a fraudster, we are there. All right. Sounds great, Rich. Thanks so much. You bet. Bye-bye.